to the very first TCCL Tidbits episode. I'm your host, Elise, joined as always by my feisty co-host, Winston the Cat. As I mentioned, this is our first Tidbits episode, which we started to cover legal topics related to true crime. Before we get started, I want to make a couple disclaimers. First, nothing in this episode should be construed as legal advice. The purpose of this tidbit episode is to provide general information about particular legal topics for educational purposes only. Second, while I am a licensed attorney, I don't practice criminal law. All of my information comes from state laws and court cases. Finally, because our podcast focuses on true crime in the Pacific Northwest, our tidbits will be framed with that lens as well but I will do my best to make comparisons to other states and provide generalizations when appropriate. The first topic we'll be discussing is double jeopardy. This was actually a listener suggestion from my boyfriend, Ben. Thank you for suggesting this topic, and we hope you learn a little something that you didn't know before. I'm sure a lot of you have heard the phrase double jeopardy and probably understand the concept for the most part, but do you know where it originated from? Double jeopardy is actually nestled within one of the most fundamental amendments an individual has at their disposal from the Bill of Rights, the Fifth Amendment. We often think of the Fifth Amendment as your right against self-incrimination. You know, I plead the Fifth. But the rights of the Fifth Amendment are so much more than that. We will cover the other provisions of the Fifth Amendment in later tidbit episodes. For now, let's look at what the double jeopardy provision of the U.S. Constitution covers. There are four essential protections. You cannot be retried after you've been acquitted of a crime. You cannot be retried after you've been convicted of a crime. Retrial is allowed after certain mistrials, and you are not allowed to receive multiple punishments for the same crime. Most states have their own constitutional sections that have similar language. The essence behind double jeopardy are the first and second protections I mentioned. Once a judge or jury has ruled on your guilt or innocence, that's it. The prosecution doesn't get to try again because they lost or because they don't like the outcome. In order to illustrate some of the nuances of double jeopardy, I'll be highlighting some well-known cases where these issues come up. When you read court cases or transcripts, you may notice that double jeopardy is often referred to as attaching. Generally, and there are some exceptions, Jeopardy attaches when the jury is sworn in. Once that happens, the case against the defendant has officially started in the court's eyes. The most obvious example of double jeopardy in action is the O.J. Simpson case. The prosecution charged O.J. with the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. The jury heard lengthy testimony, examined forensic evidence, and witnessed the infamous glove speech. At the end of the trial, the jury was sent to deliberate. They returned a verdict of not guilty. In other words, OJ was acquitted of the murder charges against him. I don't think you will find a person today who liked that verdict, except maybe OJ himself and Johnny Cochran. But disliking the result of a case doesn't entitle you to try again and again and again until you get the result you want. That's not a fair system, and it's certainly not the kind of judicial system we want. It's horribly inefficient, and it's a waste of resources. So once the jury acquitted OJ, the case was over. He can never be charged with Nicole or Ron's murders again. And I want to emphasize this next point because it's important. 
Even if the prosecution found new evidence or OJ confessed to the murders, under the protection of double jeopardy, OJ still can't be prosecuted ever again for those murders. I want to use the OJ case to illustrate another important caveat with double jeopardy. Double jeopardy only applies in criminal cases. So, in case you don't remember, or if you weren't alive back then, after OJ was acquitted of Nicole and Ron's murders, the Goldman family sued OJ in civil court for the wrongful death of their son and brother, and the family won a monetary judgment against OJ. In the civil case against OJ, it didn't matter that he was acquitted of the murders. OJ couldn't claim double jeopardy, which is why he could become a defendant in a civil lawsuit related to the same incident, Nicole and Ron's murders. In fact, it seems to be fairly common that family members of victims bring civil suits where the accused is acquitted of the crime. I've often heard it described as a way for those families to get justice when the system didn't provide it for them. So OJ's case is a little more straightforward when it comes to double jeopardy applying. But what about when there's a mistrial? When can someone be tried again? Didn't jeopardy attach? Well, mistrials are one area that's been carved out of the double jeopardy exception. Generally, mistrials happen because of jury issues or prosecutorial misconduct and or procedural errors. The big key here is that once a mistrial occurs, the prosecution doesn't actually have to try the defendant again. The prosecution could decide to walk away and give up the case, or more commonly, the prosecution can give up the case for now and work to find new evidence or new witnesses before bringing the case again. This might sound kind of shady, but essentially when a mistrial happens, the case hasn't been decided one way or another. There's no winner and no loser. And in order for double jeopardy to attach, there has to be a conclusion to the case in some way, an acquittal, a conviction, or an overturned decision on appeal. I think the best case to illustrate this point is the case of Curtis Flowers. He was tried for the Tardy Furniture murders six times. How does a person get tried for the same crime six times, you might ask? Well, each time he was tried and convicted, he would appeal. The appeal would be overturned by a higher court because the prosecutor was eliminating all black people from the jury, which is a constitutional violation. So when the conviction was overturned, the prosecutor had a few choices. He could drop all charges against Curtis, he could release Curtis for time served, or he could decide to retry the case. Obviously, since Curtis was tried six times for the murder, you know what decision the prosecutor made each time the conviction was overturned. Except, the most recent case was sent to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they determined the prosecutor had once again improperly excluded Black people from the jury, and they overturned Curtis's conviction. After the Supreme Court issued their opinion, the decision on whether or not to retry Curtis was taken out of the prosecutor's hands. Curtis became a free man in 2019, but he truly became free in September of this year when the Attorney General's office declined to prosecute the case for a seventh time due to a lack of evidence. The charges against Curtis were dismissed. If you're interested in learning more about Curtis's case, I highly recommend season two of the podcast series, In the Dark. They focus on Curtis's story, interviewing his family members and witnesses involved in the case. 
And after spending almost 24 years in prison, the podcast was finally able to interview Curtis himself last month. So hopefully you've stuck around for the last few points. The final two points I want to touch on are the other two big questions I see come up in true crime. Separate prosecutions for different crimes and separate sovereignty. I'll start with separate prosecutions. I think I can best illustrate this with another case example. So the case of Darlie Routier is one where a mother was tried with the killing of her two sons. When the prosecution went to trial, they only prosecuted Darlie for the death of her younger son, Damon. However, she was still charged in the death of her older son, Dylan. But the prosecution made the choice to try each case separately. In case the jury didn't convict on the death of one child, they still had another murder they could try her for. Again, this probably sounds kind of shady, but it is allowed. There is no explicit bar against separate prosecutions for different offenses that arise out of the same criminal transaction. In this case, both Dylan and Damon's murders were part of the same criminal transaction, but they were considered different offenses because each child is a separate human being whose life was taken. Generally speaking, prosecutors do try all offenses that arise out of the same criminal transaction altogether, but their decision not to do so doesn't violate the double jeopardy provision. The final double jeopardy issue that comes up in some true crime cases is separate sovereigns. This idea harkens back to original constitutional principles, but don't worry, I'm not going to bore you with a civics lesson here. All you need to know is that the state and federal government are considered two separate sovereigns. They are both governing entities with the ability to prosecute crimes simultaneously. So double jeopardy doesn't apply when both the state and the federal government want to prosecute a person for the same crime. Or what we see more frequently is that the federal government charges a person for the same state crime after he or she is acquitted. This happened in the Rodney King case. Rodney King, a black man, was beaten by several LAPD officers, which was filmed by a civilian. King was unarmed and continued to be beaten after he was already on the ground. He was hit with batons over 50 times. Four officers were tried for excessive use of force. Three officers were acquitted and the jury failed to reach a verdict on the fourth officer. After the verdicts were handed down, people of LA were outraged and began rioting. After the riots, the federal government prosecuted the four officers. The federal government was allowed to prosecute these officers without violating double jeopardy because of the separate sovereign idea. Thanks for listening to our first TCCL Tidbits episode. We hope you enjoyed learning more about double jeopardy. If you have any questions or want to find out more information about this subject, please head over to our website for a list of sources or email us at truecrimecatlawyer at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on social media at truecrimecatlaw on Twitter and truecrimecatlawyer on Instagram. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.